0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Alec a Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, Psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mop. I'm an actor, comedian, I live in Hollywood, and I just binged This Is Us yesterday, all day.
1: Oh my god, it's one of my favorite shows, you just binged it. Okay, well I'm Matthew Dempsey, huge This Is Us fan uh and i'm a psychotherapist
0: um i just feel like the whole show is watching an entire life flash before your
1: eyes it it's many lives flashing before your eyes yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's like einstein's theory of time is that it's it's we're 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 the only ones exper- experiencing time linearly but the, right. the universe the reality is is that it's all going on at once
1: well i love it because i love how they're able to to tie so many themes together, uh-huh. all of kind of jumping around through time, but you get to see this kind of like universal theme that comes together through family and through life experience. And uh, that's that's what I love about it. It just seems as though that there's something for absolutely everybody to connect with and identify uh-huh. with that uh-huh. also then unites everybody, connects everybody. So I love it.
0: Do you, do you ever watch the show and think, okay, if this was my life, what yeah. it would look like? If well, it like- I- Clashing okay, back to me as a kid and then clashing <laughs> back to me as a girl. Yes. I would be like dude, like, wow, that is one fucked up person.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you actually, I mean, I kind of mentioned this to you right before we started recording the show today, too, is that there's something very I, I relate to this show kind of in some direct ways because the kid, like the three kind of main kids of the of the show are kind of roughly my age. Mm-hmm. And also um, there's kind of like some similarities where, you know, my dad didn't die, but um, my parents split up when I was kind of young. And Your then, dad
0: didn't die in a crockpot fire. No, no, none- no. Okay. <laughs>
1: Spoiler, and um, but uh, but then my mom also wound up partnering up with somebody else and oh. that whole kind of dynamic of like mm-hmm. a step family situation and and kind of what that's like. So I so I really connect, I really, really connect. You're so, like, saying
0: that the dynamic of our, oh, we have a guest today. We do okay. have a, a guest, yeah, in guest case this was, today, wasn't obvious. Uh, John <laughs> Huertas, who is on the show, yes. This Is Us. Yes. I've known him for a very, very long time. We haven't seen each other in ages. And see, the thing is, we used to cater waiter together in the 90s. And then I turned on This Is Us and I saw him the old age makeup. Yeah. Out of context. And I was like, Jesus, what the fuck happened to him? He looks terrible. <laughs> We're the same age. Why does he look 60? And then I was like, oh, okay, back it up. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's it's. I watched the show and I was like, God, if that was me and you saw the pathology of why I am the way I am today. Yes it yeah. would be really kind of like oh you'd see that he, you'd see that i learned things the hard way
1: well what in what <laughs> in my the life sh- lessons Yeah, of course what in the show if anything did you do you connect with like was there something that reflected back to you some of your own shit or traumas well, or okay. pathologies? There's the dynamic
0: there's a the dynamic between Manny Moore and the uh, and the kids in that favoring Randall uh-huh. affected Kevin adversely later on Kevin yeah. is Kevin for all intents and purposes should be the confident straight white guy. And he's a mess. Yeah. And Randall, because Mandy Moore deferred to him so much. hmm uh, Said that the word? Kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of, yeah just kind of paid so much attention as a way of compensating. Turns out to be the most successful, the most conscientious and everything. And right. I think that my thing is like just I'm just interested in watching the child parent dynamic because my abandonment issues started so early as a queer kid. It's kind of like, oh, I got to pull it together. Yeah, I got to be perfect. I got to be extraordinary in order to make this relationship work because this guy just approves of me and makes it clear in no uncertain terms. Yeah. And then it, it and then in a, <laughs> so with the flashbacks, you would see me as a little kid playing with a doll and getting yelled at and doing the <laughs> correction. Flash forwards to me in my 20s and I'm like a neurotic perfectionist. <laughs> like, what can I get? What can I do or be to make you love me? So you
1: totally. Need- yeah. yeah. The overcompensation of just grasping for other people's attention or whatever, to just finally feel like you matter, right? Especially because I felt like it was (laughs) i'm not so bad (laughs) i'm not not so bad it hurts totally yeah well i kind of love you know watch in watching the show and it's like obviously the the whole setup of it is that you know the father dies you know in this horrible fire um, when they're you know in high school 15 or something like that And there's so much where they're kind of trying to overcompensate themselves or grasp for attention like throughout their lives. Like even even when it's so clear that somebody didn't intentionally leave their lives, there can still be this kind of like abandonment shit. That comes up anyway, where it's where you're still trying to kind of like vie and grasp for positive attention and the the you know security that somebody's not going to leave you like that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was kind of like my dad left when I was five, and so my mom was kind of you know really took up the the majority of the responsibility. Um, I don't remember a con like now they tell me about kind of whatever conversation happened and my dad's out as the me and my brother and sister down and told I don't remember any of that stuff I don't remember the early stuff but I do remember kind of early on with them not being together anymore having to go back and forth from one house to the other, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff but um, the fact that I like lived with my mom, there was, there was throughout my life, especially kind of getting into my teenage years, a lot of shit that comes up around, you know, Oh, well, you know, you left our family, you didn't really care enough. You started oh. another, you started another family, you got remarried, you had another child that became your focus. We felt just kind of secondary and kind of left out all this stuff, right? Like all these stories that, that I had created about what it all meant. Right. And in a way that just can leave such kind of like this deep feeling of, abandonment and fear that people aren't going to care. And like throughout my life, it continues to kind of play out. It's something I have to be really, really mindful of even today, because it's very easy for me to kind of like, kind of like want to grasp for people's attention. And then at times kind of like stonewall and protect myself and Uh hold myself back. It's kind of like all this defensive stuff because I'm just so scared about, you know, these things happening again or being left or unloved, that kind of shit.
0: I love how you said um, created the story. Yes. You know, it's kind of like, that's what we do as children and, and adolescents is we create the story of what this narrative means to me. Yeah. And it, it, but it's based on your feelings in the moment and it might not necessarily be accurate because you don't have the perspectives of everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mother died when I was like, I just, I was barely 30.
2: Mm. And,
0: and it was so funny. It's kind of like, I did for a long time feel like, you know, death, death is permanent. There's nothing personal about it. Nobody goes, unless it's a suicide, nobody goes, you know, Um, but I did kind of for a while feel really, I felt abandoned. Yeah. It, It was, it was a weird, it was kind of like,
1: Oh, it, what was, do you, do you remember like a, a conscious story that you did tell yourself or or what you realize now was the story that you told yourself at that time? I just, I
0: just remember, you know, I was going through a really difficult time. I was going through a great depression. I was going through a lot of financial hardship. I would just moved to Los Angeles. I couldn't get a job. And I just remember feeling like uh, my mother was such a source of confidence for me. Yeah. My mother was like, my mother was like, she was always like, what's stopping you? Go ahead. You know, yeah. it try
1: your cheerleaders. You know, she,
0: she was a person who came from a great deprivation during a war, you know? So to her, it was like, what? i say yes to everything. Mm hmm. And and without her there, I had to kind of rebuild from the ground up on my own. And I remember resenting her not being there in a difficult time in my life wow. and feeling like, oh, God, this would be so much easier if she was here and feeling really sad and feeling really abandoned.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah. because these, because what you're talking about is just the emotional part. There's nothing rational about it, right? Like you said, it was she passed away. That was yeah. not a, That was not a choice, mm-hmm. you know? But the fact that there's this emotional stuff that gets stirred up for us where it really feels like, wow, wasn't there anything else that you could have done to make yourself stick around? Or you right, know, right. how could you leave me at a time that I needed you so much? Mm-hmm. And I think that we kind of really get trapped uh, or get caught up in this kind of conflict back and forth about what I feel versus what I know. And one has to win out. And so then when we default to, oh no, I, you know, of course she didn't leave me on purpose. That wasn't intentional in a way then that minimizes and invalidates how we feel about it. So we never actually allow ourselves to process that very normal grieving, you know, kind of moment.
0: Look at my jaw hanging. I know, there.
1: I see that.
0: <laughs> what I feel versus what I know. That is yes. If you want to hear more nuggets of wisdom like Matthew Dempsey just dropped. In our laps, <laughs> download and subscribe to Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey Science
2: Parents. These are the yes, kind of yes.
0: gems that fall out of his mouth <laughs> week after week after week. What I what I feel versus what I know. Because also, as kids, we're not, you know, kids of divorce. My parents were married until my mother died. So that wasn't my experience, but there was a there was a time in grade school where everybody's parents were getting getting divorced. And what yeah. I got from that is like seeing. Kids aren't in a place to process what their parents are going through. You, you don't have the empathy at age seven eight nine ten 10 to kind of put yourself in
1: your parents' right. shoes in,
0: in the mindset of an adult who is in a relationship they no longer
1: want to be in. Yes, that's right. Yeah. At a very early age, we haven't yet developed those kind of cognitive abilities to be able to process and understand a little bit more of what's going on, kind of more rationally, right? We don't have the ability to do that. And so what we do, because as children, we make everything about ourselves, right? For better or for worse right Mm -hmm. like the the whole world yeah I still have a goat out of that (laughs) (laughs) but so when when some of these more challenging or even traumatic experiences happen we don't have the capacity to understand that it didn't have to do with us that there are all other kinds of reasons why these kinds of things happen and so what we do then is we personalize it and then when we mm-hmm. personalize it and think oh okay like for me uh my dad left okay obviously well what why like were we not enough like am right. i not enough like what's right. wh- how come you know like why wouldn't he want to work harder it's not even necessarily a thing that i'm thinking ra- or uh consciously but it's just the the vibe the feeling that i have right and then so mm-hmm. as a result i learned and i remember actually at certain times kind of like in my teenage years very consciously being like i'm not going to talk to him like he reached out to me i'm not going to talk to him like f that you know and, oh, and it was i would that you were in resentment i remember thinking like this will be a punishment and so it really was me kind of pulling back in a very defensive way you know and so because it's he like Yeah, he hurt me. And then it's I tell myself these stories. He didn't care enough. You know, fuck him then. And so then I push him away. So instead of me feeling like I'm not enough, I then project out, point a finger at him and say he's not enough and push him away while I'm continuing to keep that same story alive within me. And then I replay that bullshit kind of narrative and psychodrama with other relationships that I've had in my life until I'm able to now as an adult reparent myself give myself that love, check in with my story, rewrite that narrative, and then be more vulnerable in my relationship.
0: See, you'd be a really good episode of This Is Us. You'd be like,
1: see, <laughs> look at how much he's learned. People would watch
0: my episode of This Is Us of my life and go, Jesus, this bitch has learned a goddamn thing. Listen, I'm so excited about our guest today. We I am Don, too, Don Huertas from This Is Us. So um, we'll be right back with our very special guest.
1: We are thrilled to talk to our guest today. You probably know him best for his role as Miguel on the hit show, This Is Us, which I am obsessed with. And he just directed his first episode, which is really exciting.
0: He has been a successful actor for over two decades, starring in popular shows like Sabrina, the Teenage Witch and Castle. He recently started a production company called West Side Stories, where he is passionate about telling stories people are afraid to tell and doing it with a comedic slant. He's also an old friend of mine. I'm so excited he's here. Please welcome John Huertas. Yay. Oh my God. Hey, this is, this is, this, this, I told I, right before you came on the show, I was talking about how I hadn't seen you since we were cater waiters together. We ran an espresso cart and we used to do fancy parties together and we would just, That's right. we would crack each other up so much. We would be laughing so hard. We were barely able to do the job.
3: Yeah. I think, uh, it, it was, it, we didn't take each other seriously, that job seriously, <laughs> I think, or anything seriously. So that's why we uh, cracked each other up so much. It was, I, I have so many actually great memories from that. Do uh, You remember our, our uh, the person who started the company was Arlene. Arlene Golan, and, yeah. Yeah, and she was super, uh, you know, very strict about that part. We had the (laughs) the big brass, like Italian, decorative thing. And she was so particular. It was beautiful. It It was beautiful. And it was before the Starbucks explosion. It was way before there was a Starbucks on any, on every street corner. And uh, people, remember, and people would just line up for whatever we were serving at. These, the most exclusive Parties you've ever imagined. We did bar mitzvahs that you know they spent you know <laughs> half a million dollars on.
0: We we, we did, did that that one at the parties. Sony Lot, Matthew. We did a we did a Christmas party at the Sony Lot where they built an entire hill of snow for kids to slide down on sleds and everything. And, um, and I was terrible at making those coffees. If it's like, everything was the same thing to me. If it was a latte (laughs) or cappuccino, you would get
3: whatever I gave you. (laughs) And it was, so there's this amazing story from that time period that I tell people all the time. And, you know, at one point I became like the liaison between the big catering companies and the cart. So if, if Alec was the one trying to make a cappuccino and he was like, dude, I'm out of milk, dude, I'm out of milk. And I'd be like, I'll be right back. And I, I, I don't, you know, when wearing the, a, like a black tie, white shirt, black jacket, um, I would run off and get milk and literally come back to the to the back entrance of the party and all these big security guards would stop me. Excuse me wait, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I would say, I'm with catering, we ran out of milk, dude. <laughs> and they would literally just wave me through. And I walked through one of those big exclusive parties and thought to myself, oh my God, I just basically walked into a party with two gallons of milk. And I had friends that were already kind of doing their thing in Hollywood. And they'd always ask me, hey, are you going to that, uh, that party next Thursday? That big, that big, you know, whatever party. And I'd say, uh, maybe, where is it again? And they'd say, they're taking over the entire pier in Santa Monica. I'm, I'm like, Man, I'll, I'll see if I'm free. And I would literally put on that suit Go to Ralph's, buy two gallons of milk, <laughs> walk into the back door, and yell at the security guards and say, Look, "We're running out of milk. We got to get this into." The I'd, oh walk my God. In and I'd sit the milk down and walk in. All my friends back then would call me uh, Rat Pack. I was the only like young Hollywood person wearing a black tie <laughs> with a jacket, and I was and I would tell people that's just my style. That's Martin is my my. Dean Martin is my uh, biggest, you know, influence. my style. <laughs> that's, And that's how
0: you got into the Oscars. We're running out of milk. I What's gotta get milk for the
3: speech. He needs her cappuccino. Exactly. That was oh the biggest takeaway from that job. That and Alec Mappa's laps and our friendship.
0: Oh my god, Aww. he used to do this face. that Just we, you would say "dude," but he would do it in 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 a Chica- uh, in a uh, L. A. East East Los Angeles accent. But and you would cross your eyes. You would just go do. Dude. dude, like forever. I was just, really? Wait, do you I remember think, that? I like
3: I can remember it. Dude, hey dude, <laughs> is that one? Yes, yeah, yeah. Hey
0: do check it, hey check <laughs> it out. <laughs> check it out, dude. dude, We would do that for hours, Matthew, it was awful. Um, but that's how while, you get while through- While we were this. waiting
3: for the rush. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> that, that's how you get through a uh, cater waiter job. Matthew,
0: really did you ever do a job like
1: that? Uh, I used to work at Barnes and Noble and I would have to work in the cafe sometimes. So yeah, I would pretend to make coffee drinks and not know what I was doing. So go. yeah, for sure.
0: So uh, right before the break, uh, um, Matthew and I were discussing our own abandonment issues. And, um, I think that's the theme of today's show. Do you have any abandonment issues? No. <laughs> just dive right in. Yeah. Are you
3: talking to me or Matt? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I yeah. I, I would say that I do. I think uh, the theme of society is abandonment issues. I think that you know if we think about how we are um, just reared as children and how mm-hmm. you know what our family dynamic is, if anything is any different from uh, that. That familiar relationship, there. I think there's always going to be abandonment issues because it goes against what our instincts are. Uh-huh. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you look at our closest relatives, the uh, um, I like to consider the bonobo chimpanzee our closest relatives because they settle conflicts with the second winter course. Um, <laughs> but uh, the African chimpanzee, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Also, they have you know this how long the, the the they rear their their children how they carry them. And I, you know, they carry them on their stomachs or on their backs. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, I think that that's, there's something instinctual about us needing to be so close to our parents for mm-hmm. a lot longer, you know, we are reared a lot longer than a chimpanzee, whereas it's it's offspring. But if anything changes, I think that there's always gonna be a hint, a sense, or, you know, a, a larger amount of abandonment felt by that child. And so It's, for me, it's traumatic. Yeah, it is traumatic. And so for me, yeah, I was uh a product of a of a of a pregnancy that was not um that didn't fit into the nuclear family model mm-hmm. and I was um dropped off basically to, with grandparents and um you know my my grandmother was a, an amazing parent for me but everything that I'm bombarded with and you know you you know Alec you grew up at the same time as I did I think Matthew mm-hmm. were a little younger but you know Everything was about the nuclear family. Every television program you watched, every, you know, they, I think when Alec and I were growing up is when they coined the term broken family, your Mm. family doesn't look like this. It's broken. Mm -hmm. I hate the broken family term. I don't think we should use it anymore. I think Mm -hmm. a family that changes is just a new dynamic of a a family. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so, uh, you know, we grew up thinking we're in a broken family. We wonder why our mother doesn't want, I wondered why my mother didn't want me to live with her. Mm. And so, and, and especially when you have other kids that are also growing up in the same environment where the nuclear family is what the family is supposed to look like. They would see me and my situation and go, what's wrong with you? Why don't you live with your mom? Right. Right. And I would get those questions. And as a kid, you don't have the answer for that, really. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I grew up. I, I feel like, you know, when you talk about This Is Us, our show, I'm more influenced and connected to Kevin's story than Anyone's because everything Kevin has done or does is for the attention of his mother. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that everything—the reason that Alec and I met each other was literally for the attention of my mother. Because I'm an actor, because of that need, uh, to, you know, yeah, my yeah. mom to yeah. see me. Um, I know I I, in, in school I excelled in theater and sports, wherever I could be on a stage. Yeah, um, wherever that could be focused on me. I think my, I would hope my mom would see me and mm-hmm. then say, yeah. come, come live with me. And, uh, so I grew up with that and, and it, you know, it was, it was tough and there were moments, it was also, you know, I was a product of a biracial relationship, you know, I'm Afro Latino. So, you know, my mom was, was Anglo and at, you know, in the seventies, it was not prevalent, especially, you know, when I, when I moved to Virginia, being uh, biracial in Virginia, d- People just didn't understand what I was. Yeah, I would get I would get kids walking up to me, uh, black or white, because it was only black and white, and some Vietnamese kids that had that were a product of, um, you know, Vietnam and having to leave there and immigrate to our country. I would have kids walk up to me like they just smelled a fart and ask me what I was. They would say, "Jesus,
0: what are what you? What are you?" Uh,
3: and so imagine like seeing that face and asking, "What are you?" Like someone doesn't understand what you are, right? So all of that compounded uh, to me just trying to show people what I was. I'm a fucking amazing football player. I'm an amazing mm. actor. I'm funny. Um I can fight. Like I you know everything that I could do to excel at something. Right. To, to not only, you know, show people what I was, but to show my mom, look at look at who I am. Mm. when do you want me in your house? Yeah. And then you know it was and it was tough. But then one day I you know Things happened in my life, and one day, when I got a little older, I finally asked my mom, "Why didn't Why didn't you want me to live with you? Why did mm. I, Why could I never live with you?" And you know, over the years, my I spent time with my mom, and my mom went through three marriages. Um, mm. And the second marriage, there was there were two kids that were born out of that <clears throat> second marriage. And you know, a lot of holidays were spent with my mom wherever she lived, uh, with my grandparents. My mom would come over to my grandparents, you know, and you know, celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, all the holidays and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. We would always see each other, but i never got to live, leave with her. I never got to be in her house. And so one yeah. day I said, mom, why? And she looked at me and grown up guard. She didn't expect that question. Um, and she just thought for a second and blurted out the life you had with your grandparents was way better than the life I could have ever given you. Mm. And then I st- I started thinking back to all the times I visited her wherever she was living. And sometimes she lived in some pretty shitty places, pretty shitty apartments where her second husband had two twin daughters from a previous marriage. Mm -hmm. And I remember visiting once, I think it was in rural Pennsylvania, somewhere outside of Pittsburgh. And I remember like getting there and they showed me to where I was gonna be sleeping. Mm -hmm. And there was one single bed. And that was the bedroom that the two twin daughters slept in that single bed together. I was going to be sleeping in that same bed with those two twin daughters. And and I remember the place just having this feeling of like, you know, just, I don't know if squalor is the Uh the word. it sounds like squalor. Yeah. Yeah, And, and I, and I was like, you know, as a little kid, you don't really, you're not, you don't understand that. Especially I didn't come from any money. How old were you when she said that to you? Uh, I was probably, I think 15 and a half or sixteen. Yeah. was that do, was that the first time that you ever kind of like because it sounds like
0: i mean you remember, her? you remember it but it's did it give you was it the start of an alternate perspective of your mother
3: it was um before that i just didn't understand i didn't i didn't know why she didn't want me Right. And what was the uh, I don't mean to cut you up. What was what was
1: the story at that time? If you remember even just kind of reflecting back on it, do you remember what you thought or what the story was that you told yourself before you even had more
3: perspective later on? So I like I said earlier, I was the product of a, you know, a biracial union Mm -hmm. and living when I'm when I'm living in Virginia, I'm living with my mom's parents. So the white side. Okay. I was called. You know, on on the white side of my family, I had relatives that actually called me the N-word um, <laughs> a couple of times, like repetitively. And other kids, oh. other white kids, of course, uh, the same thing. You know, I, I'm definitely a victim of racism um, and hate. But. And also that what are you thing? So there's a part of me that thought that that's how my that whole side of my mom's family felt. What is he? And <laughs> that my mom was afraid to have me in her life because of the difference, what I, what I looked like. Yeah. And and, totally. and, 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 trying to simplify her own life. And, you know, and I don't, I don't have any, uh, anger really towards my mom or, um, you know, a sense of abandonment is different than anger. Um, mm-hmm. it can manifest, it can manifest into anger. Right. But, right. uh, for me, I've always kind of had a, uh, I love the word perspective. And I've always had like a really wide perspective mm-hmm. since I can remember. And so I, just, I always feel like I, I kind of like float off the planet and I'm looking down on everything at once. And
2: mm-hmm.
3: I, I, I know about my mom's story from my own like kind of childhood investigations digging through my grandparents' shit in their basement. And I learn about, you know, how what my mom went through growing up and how what her story is. And if she never healed from that, 70s 80s uh mental health was not prevalent in society especially in virginia or north carolina or rural pittsburgh wherever she was living um so she never addressed any of her issues whether they be abandonment whether what you know betrayal whatever it was so can i blame her right i don't you know i'm saying i don't believe in good and evil i don't think she was an evil person i think you know everyone's a product of their you know, environment, you know, yeah. you envir- the environmental that affects who you are. You have, you know, um, a product of, of abuse, a product of, you know, something that turns you into the type of mother you're going to be, or the type of person right. you're going to be as an adult. Right. And so I can't, I can't blame her and be angry with her. If I understand, if I use a wider perspective, Yeah. if I understand that she's never healed from what she went through. And then I'm, I'm her- curious
0: is, um, is that perspective, did you arrive at it? Because my, my thing with forgiving my father is kind of like it really got to a point where this, this mode of thinking about the world and my parents is not working for me anymore. My therapist would say, you know, children don't have any uh, choice but to take things personally. Mm-hmm. It's a very juvenile perspective. And I had to all of a sudden reframe everything so that I didn't take it personally. And that's how I could move on because it was really yeah. holding me up as a person. So I'm curious to you, was this a gradual arrival at this perspective or was it the work of, did you work on it like with a therapist?
3: So I didn't work, cause I, got, I developed this perspective pretty young and I think it's because, and this is what I worked on with my, with any therapist that I've worked with since then, is that, you know, when I was a kid and, and you don't come from Money. I mean, almost like less than, you know, just like lower middle class or, mm-hmm. you know, barely middle class um, when I lived with my white grandparents. But, you know, having a grandmother before that who had to work sometimes two jobs to make sure we had food in the cupboards mm-hmm. and that the roof was over our heads. Um, I wasn't having family dinners. I'm making my own food. I'm taking care of myself um, in high school. I, you know. I bought my own clothes. Hmm. I, I I got a job 15 and a half. So I already had like, you know, to almost have responsibility like an adult does. I got to be at my job at a certain time. I get a paycheck. I put it in the bank. I pay my car payment. uh, I buy my own clothes. I buy my own food. I feed myself. So I
0: term for that, Matthew. It's not parentified. You're adultified, right? It's like you, if, Matthew, can you um, hear
1: me? Yeah, I can. I don't know the answer. <laughs>
0: oh no, like no, I know that when there's like dysfunction in the family, that if you have a parent that you have to look after, the child becomes parentified. And right. it sounds like you were you were your own parent. You were kind of on your own from a, a young age.
3: Yeah, I think I like the term adultified better. Yeah, it it kind of sounds a little more hip hop and street, mm-hmm. which I like. adult. Uh, <laughs> also, Hamilton. yeah, I'm saying yeah, but but it's also yeah. I think that because I think parentified would mean that you have to you Take your parents and your parent. Mm-hmm. And that's kind right. what my wife, that's what she always says she did with her mom. Right. So for me, it's adultified. I became, I had to become an adult before mm-hmm. I, yeah. was Survival. I was actually supposed to. Yeah. Or I didn't eat or, um, you know, I never had to show up report card to a parent. I never, uh, you know, I never had to do that. So, so I feel like, you know, my brain developed uh, em- emotionally. And, um, you know, that, that, that idea of perspective developed before it, you, like some kids do.
1: Yeah. Because, because
3: okay. parents are parenting them for much longer. Totally. Yeah.
1: I'm really curious about that actually, because, because of your circumstances um, and probably just kind of how you are organically, there was this opportunity for you to have to really kind of be thrown into becoming an adult and really independent. Right. And really have to just entirely rely on yourself Do all the things that you need to do, and that in a way can also kind of become almost like a a new defense, right? Like especially as we move through life, like I don't need anybody now. I'm like almost like now I'm like almost count now I'm almost like counter dependent, right? I'm counter dependent, and so it kind of creates this um, invulnerability, this conflict where I want to feel safe and secure, but I also have emotional needs to be met, and that kind of makes me think about a Mm -hmm. thing that you just said a moment ago too, which is kind of like anger and blame which are two very different things because anger is the emotional part of it and blame Mm -hmm. is the kind of thought process so Mm -hmm. I guess my question for you is have you been able to arrive at a place or maybe how have you been able to arrive at a place at your life now where you allow yourself to feel all the feelings like maybe anger or some resentment or hurt or whatever it is while also keeping in mind kind of what you know rationally that it never had to do with you
3: yeah I mean I think uh as long as I don't allow myself to um, blame, I right. think that's what, that's what keeps me. And, and for me to do that, you know, seeing a therapist when I need to check in uh, you know, I believe that that uh, mental health is, as important as health if like we get yeah. our oh my god I, I mean yes. can you imagine if
0: everybody in america had a therapist and like mental health was treated just as seriously as our, our lungs or our heart
1: or if mental health, was, or or mental health was in our, and in in our curriculum in our school systems in the same way right. that physical education we took, that if we were taught important.
0: emotional intelligence exactly please.
3: yeah well exactly i mean that's i think that that's super important i also believe that you know a lot of the things that we uh that we see when it comes to like you know, a, a student acting out at a school, whether it be yes. a school shooting or any other way. And Matt, a lot of that comes from bullying and bullying that kid in particular. So imagine if at a young age, you know, at, at five years old, it's just a part of your yearly checkup. You get your body checked, you get mm-hmm. your ears checked, you get your eyes checked, you get your teeth checked, you get your mind checked. I mean, this yeah. has got to be as important as your yeah. ears or your teeth yeah. or your totally. heart or lungs, right? So I feel like if it's normal, then kids would understand what mental health was. They would understand how important it is to their right. existence. Yes. So when you see a kid that is a little different from you and the other students, instead of bullying that kid, you go up to that kid and say, hey, are, you, are you OK? Are you cool? right? You push like, in. What are you, or what are you about? You know, you, you ask them what they're about. So then you're learning about that person yeah. instead of bullying that person. Then that person doesn't take, you know, years of just bullying and and turn it into blame yeah. And then anger. It's and then, yes. anger yes. is always the tip of the iceberg. I mean, as
0: somebody I we uh, adopted our son when he was five out of foster care. And he's cute. So, by the way. I love that. that kid. Trauma. I mean, the trauma of kids in foster care. They said, did you ever like lose your mom in a supermarket when you were a kid? And how terrifying that was that happened to these kids for real. Yeah. So when um, part of the reason we adopted him was not only we fell in love with him, but he was like a mollusk he was attached to me at the hip wherever mm. I went. Now he's like, fuck you, I'm 16, leave me alone. But um, <laughs> at the beginning, it, it, it we were always, Therapeutically informed about where he was, we worked with right. a therapist on the transition into our home. We worked with a therapist processing the type of family we were, and so he he has a lot of emotional intelligence. So to him, That's nice. being That's a therapist is like going to the dentist. I mean, it's just kind of like like everything else.
1: Yeah, John, I was mentioning kind of at the uh, start when Alec and I were chatting about it about how I can, as as self aware as I am, and you know even doing the work that I do, I can still find in my life ways that my shit still does kind of get stirred up, right? Like it's like not ever going to go right. away, we can just minimize it. Um and it yeah. impacts my relationships. Yeah. In what ways does that does your experience continue to Yeah, how does your, your shit now? still
3: stink? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it comes up uh a lot of times it comes up with um I just think my mom's getting older. Um mm-hmm. when she when she retired uh I bought her a house, moved her um, to Florida, very close wow, to my Wow, nice. Yeah, nice. and I think that I mean I, I feel like even doing that was still a, a remnant of look look at me, look what I made. Yeah. You, you like know, me uh, now?
1: Like trying to prove I, something? Yeah, or yeah. yeah get you the know,
3: attention. But, but you know, but there was all there were also I just you know she had never really ever owned a house, so mm-hmm. to me it was important if if I was able to own it, I want my mom to you know have a house. This yeah. is yours. There's not there, the the lease doesn't run out, right? You know, home security. About, yeah. No. No late rent payments. No nothing. Yeah. Like this is yours, and so you know to give her that gift because of understanding where she came from. But I think what, what when it comes up now is when you know uh, she's getting older and hmm. she's gonna need long term care at some point in her life. And I've got this half brother and half sister that that got the opportunity to live yeah. with her and grow up with her. And be parented by her, right? And they're younger, eight and eight and thirteen years younger than me. And it comes up when I when when discussing what's going to happen with mom when she gets older.
1: Yeah, and there's a part mm-hmm. of
3: me, I, you know, there's a part of me that's like, bitch, I bought her a house uh-huh. <laughs> with the dementia. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, like you got her, right? When you were a kid. I did. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, yeah. And then so then there's that thing where like. You know, my mom was my grandmother. I had to realize that once my mom yeah. told me the life she gave me was better than the one that, that that I would have had with her. So by giving me to my grandparents. And uh, I don't think, I don't know if you remember, Matthew, the uh, the episode. So for This Is Us, I never cry when yeah. I watch the episodes. Um,
1: I cry at every one, by the way, every fucking one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the music. It's, a, it's every single thing. It, it's yeah, everything like that, thing that thing has too.
0: that. 30-something score yeah. that travels through <laughs> the entire episode. A, and, like, I, I I always wanted to do this version of This Is Us where people are having a conversation. They're like, where the fuck is that music
2: coming
0: <laughs> right. from? The, and then the montage at the end is always, like, is always meant to, like, rip your
3: heart out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was very – the writer and I for this last episode that aired, we were very specific about the song at the end. She had written yes. a song into the – script that when the editor put it to the to edit when he and I were working on the edit uh it just the song was like it just com- didn't work completely it was yeah. like wow we're not using that song so then we started you know that he put another song in and I was like the, the bread song that you that if you guys watch it you heard it yeah. was so amazing it fit so perfectly and it's about like the song is literally about a uh, father and son in relation with the with the son you know the son only has what he has because of his father yeah um so it's beautiful what the song is, is saying even and then there was some back and forth with like you know the creator of the show Dan hogel was like what about this john lennon song put that in there and showed us a cut of that and i was like poo poo <laughs> and get that to get that bread song back in here um so it was very specific about the music and then siddhartha our um uh composer he his music is just sick and that's dan's old college yeah yeah, and it's so Buddy. good. It's so you good. were saying
0: you never cry, and you so I never cry.
3: Yeah, I never cry. So in this one episode where Deja's mom makes a decision that her daughter's life will be much yes. better in the Pearson house uh. than in. So you know, when I was watching that and my mom had already told me she told me, I was just like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I made that face like uh like Michael Pena yeah. did from traffic. Uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> the
3: the <laughs> silent
1: sob. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Totally. Oh my yeah. god. It really your, does.
1: Yeah. It really, it really tugs on every heartstring. I have uh I have to say I've got one comment about it. I have to tell you one thing, and then I also have a follow up question about something you said earlier. The okay. comment is um the I have to just tell you, I would be remiss if I didn't say this to you that the way that you play Miguel is so fucking perfect and spot on because like my you, because that's basically kind of my stepdad. And it's just like the way that the way that you play that character and the way that you do it with such kind of like grace to be there, to know that you were like not the dad, but like are there to step in and support. But you're also human. The way you ride that fine line is so fucking brilliant. It's so perfect. And that oftentimes stirs up a lot of stuff for me. Thank so you. that's amazing. I appreciate a quest- that, Yeah, of course. And a question that I have for you actually is, it's interesting when you said earlier that the character that you relate to the most is Kevin, because in the show, there's been times when Miguel has really kind of butted heads with Kevin, right? Yeah. Because of this conflict, like you're not my dad, that kind of shit, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's in your process and in portraying that character now from like the from a parent side has that done anything for you personally and how you've been able to process your own experience uh, identifying as kind of like that's a great question
3: are you saying how it pertains to how i play miguel my own experience um in the way
1: kind of more like because now you're forced to kind of play the character of like the parent to somebody Mm -hmm. that you've identified with did that give you a different perspective playing the parent um
3: I'm gonna say, not really. Um, okay.
0: <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I'm playing a father to a kid who has the same issues as I do.
3: I yeah. feel nothing. I feel nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like Kevin doesn't allow Miguel to. It doesn't rarely allows Miguel to be uh, a father figure. It's there's been a few moments which I think. Um, yeah, you know, for me knowing how I would have liked to have been kind of spoken to by a father figure, which I never got.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I never really had a father figure. Uh, my grandfather worked so hard and, yeah. and, and, and the, and the swing shift in the midship. So I didn't really get to see him except on weekends when he say, Hey, uh, let me relax. I can't really deal with you right now. Um, so, uh, so for me, I don't understand how to parent because I don't have kids. Mm. I I really didn't. I feel like I was adult, adultified, really young. So um, in those moments when I've been able to, as Miguel, give Kevin advice, I guess I just imagined what it would have, how I would have wanted to hear it said Mm. to me as a kid and, and just the, the you know the timbre of the voice that I would have liked to a fatherly yeah. voice yeah yeah a, um you know very measured way of speaking and and also you, I think you are onto something where you know because I connect to Kevin's character as on a personal level like I I understand what what his character really wants yeah mm. he really wants to. He wants his mother to accept him as much as he he thinks she accepts Randall and, and, and yeah. Kate. Um, yeah. Oh, the fight um, between
0: Randall and 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 Kevin at the end of season four in the finale. I was like yelling yeah, at yeah. the television screen yeah. like, ooh yeah. ooh yeah, it was pretty I bad. said the worst bad. thing that ever happened to me was well, I thought was when my dad died, but it's when he brought you home. I was just like, ooh
3: yeah, that's pretty mean, Damn. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty
0: mean. Then, and then when he said you're acting, it's just, it's a stale performance, like everything you do. It's just yeah. like every
3: performance you get. All, give, that was just all like, low
1: blows, Whoa. all low blows. Yeah, just coming from pain, so, so much pain and so much hurt. Yeah,
3: they just like, they yeah. really hit each other. Um, so Acting uh, out, and I don't think it's, they still haven't, those two characters still haven't really. They have uh, to make
0: up. They have to make yeah. up before the season. So, I'm like I'm so excited about you as a director. Congratulations! That is major. Yeah, that's great. I I would hate to be in a leadership position, and that's why I don't do it. (laughs) I love acting because I love hanging out all day and gossiping. (laughs) And as a director, you have to
3: be on the set the whole time, and you're in charge. How is that? I I like it. I don't like it because I'm in charge. Because ultimately, you're not in charge. That that. That line producer that comes in, goes, but you hey, are in a leadership. Pos- I know you are in a leadership position. True. It's like I feel like you're the helmsman. You're the person that the captain has said, steer the ship, don't mm-hmm. crash into an iceberg. Mm-hmm. I've always been the type of guy that I don't like for anything to break and me not try to fix it. So if something mm-hmm. breaks, I, t- I take it apart. And I've always tinkered with things. Have a mechanical mind. It's that's right, how right. I figured out how acting works was very mechanically. Um, and and so. I have this mechanical mind that thinks that I have the answer to to how to fix little things. And so as a director, you know, figured out a long time ago while I was shadowing, when I started directing music videos and short films, things like that, that the director has to have an answer to every question. And there's gonna be a question every five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's what the leadership is. It's like, there are gonna be questions from actors From department heads, from people on the set, everyone's going to have a question and you have to have an answer for it or or make them feel really comfortable in the moment (laughs) and let them know I'll have an answer for you right away. Yeah. So to me, that's like fixing something. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. If the set is that thing that is not quite running smoothly or not working, I'm the guy who's going to take everything apart and fix it. So yeah. about I'd the, be like,
0: the, listen, I'm exhausted. I need to take a nap. Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. It just yeah. I, I don't
3: want to be in that position. I don't want everybody coming to me with their shit. Yeah. Well, at the at the end, I felt that way. I mean, it, it, you know, during the process, I just love it. But then at the you know, once you do that full episode and te- in a television show is different than a film, you have you know it's it's a tighter schedule. Our yeah. episode was the fastest turnaround that we've ever done. Yeah. finished last I finished last Thursday filming and we aired it on Tuesday. Oh, oh shit. Like, that God. was yeah, like at like Yeah. We would
0: like rap and then it would be on the following week and we were like, oh yeah, shit, that was fast. John, there's yeah. been a
1: there's been a lot of questions, uh, big question marks about like uh, Miguel, right? Like he's not in the flash forwards, like what's going on. There's also been a lot of speculation about yeah. like, he next season pod? there's been like a <laughs> lot of spe- there's been a lot of speculation about like next season fleshing out a little bit more of the story between him and Rebecca. Like Anything? Can you tell us anything like a little nod?
3: I can't I can't tell you any uh, story points that might be coming up. But, mm. uh, you know, no, there's shit. been some seeds planted. <laughs> you know, we, we heard that it, Rebecca likes cocktails. We heard, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, their wedding was in Puerto Rico. So we we you know, I think there have been little seeds planted that will be expanded on uh, yeah. towards the end of this season and mostly season six. Um, yeah. Our last season. Oh. Uh, yeah. Speculatively. Um, I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, I think that you guys will get some, some cool, sh- some cool I shit. I think the show could go on forever
0: because you keep flashing forward 20 years into the future and it could just take place on another planet in season eight.
1: Um, well, it could go on forever, but they've said that they didn't want it to be that. They wanted it to yeah. be like a complete whole story that didn't start right. to get like, you know, and, kind of and, overdone. And
3: I think it, I think at least this version of it, I mean, personally, like my own personal kind of, you know, speculation on how could this show go on? It's mm-hmm. introducing all of these younger actors, mm-hmm. all, all of the kids. and Yeah. The, the three grown daughters goes. that, yeah. yeah. Good- so Spinoffs. if you took out, yeah. If you took out mostly the, you know, the Randall, the, the Kate, the, you know, everybody, if you took most everybody out then you have the whole new crop of, of 30-somethings that you could follow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just hope that I could be, you know, the producing director on Yeah,
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> totally. this is them, this, this is them. them. It's not us anymore, it's them. Listen, yeah. I, I'm so glad, do, do. I'm so glad to see you again. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk to you forever and ever, but we, we've come to the end of our our, our fine program. Right if you've never listened before, please download and subscribe. Um, we usually end the program oh, with our, our guests telling a, a oh, thank you, yes. a hot message of the day as it pertains to mental health or the subject at hand. Do you have a message to anybody out
3: there um, g- uh, given your wealth of experience? Uh, well, my message would be adopt mental health early mm. as early mm. as you can because if you can if we can all normalize what mental health is then the stigma will be taken away yes. and when you tell someone i'm going to see my therapist people won't say really what's wrong
0: yeah. i know that was yeah. my generation it was yeah. like yeah it was like what's wrong
3: what are you going to see a therapist for you're not crazy yeah. you yeah. have no so idea So yeah so adopt it early and i'm not just talking about like you for yourself but adopt it early as parents for your kids yeah just have them check in with someone once a year at least um and then it you know we'll normalize it and maybe we'll be able to treat each other with kindness and compassion Mm. uh in the future much better than we do today
0: yeah uh i can't wait to see you um i'll have a shield on and a vaccination hopefully we'll work together soon what what lot are you guys on paramount
3: Okay, hopefully um, I'll see yeah. you at Paramount. Yeah, in the
1: hopefully meantime, where can, where can we find you on social media where everybody can see you?
3: Yes. On that Instagrams, I'm uh, at John Huertas, just my name. And same on Twitter, same on, uh, I'm on the TikTok. Oh, oh TikTok. my God. I'm not even oh, on TikTok no. yet. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, you're younger than me. Come on, <laughs> Come on. <Uh-oh. laughs> I'm on the ticket. I'm, I haven't done like a ton of stuff on there, but uh, I'm just not really as big on social media as I I was. I was an early adopter of Twitter yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, but um, yeah, I'm not really on it as much anymore because, uh, you know, I, I'm super private. I try to keep my life pretty private. So yeah. um, and you're a big yeah. time
0: director now. You don't have time. You have a lot of questions to answer.
3: Have you seen Ken Olin's Twitter? That dude is. We have to yell at him when he's directing because he'll he'll be Stop by tweeting. video village and he's just tweeting between setups. <laughs> well, like, Ken, how did I? Do you think I was any good in that last take? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was yeah sure. it was great. It was great. And he, it was mostly Donald Trump hate. Like he absolutely. Well, that was all of us <laughs>
0: for the last four years. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love yeah. you, brother.
3: It's so you good too, to see you, and I'll talk to you great. soon. Okay. Great to see you and thank you, Matthew. It's nice to meet you, brother. Thanks, Sean. Nice to meet you. Wow,
2: Matthew.
1: Yeah, that was another, great. another
2: terrific
0: show for so people to download made. and subscribe. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you put it in there.
0: <laughs> I was supposed to add download and subscribe, organic everywhere. Into the conversation. Yeah, every thirty and seconds, as, as usual. I'm doing a terrible <laughs> job. Um, what is your hot message for the day?
1: My hot message is two things can be true at the same time. And I think that's a very important, very important thing to remember, especially as it relates to us processing shit from when we were kids and the emotional you know, traumas and issues that we had to go through because we process through that in a way where we can develop more of a rational, you know, a positive perspective on what happened to us, uh-huh. but not in a way that eliminates our feelings. It just helps us manage it. So we still might feel hurt and, you know, upset and angry oh, and Oh, that's scared. really good. Cause it and doesn't make it go away, it doesn't, yeah, yeah. No, and we want to hold space for both of those. It's the yin and yang of life, you know? So mm-hmm. we, can, we can have our feelings and also know, you know, kind of more of the positive.
0: Yeah, and to piggyback on that, cause you're big,
1: <laughs> uh, I, know, I could okay. carry you.
0: I know you can carry me. You can get hit by a car and get up and have lunch right after, <laughs> and then carry you. Right. It's <laughs> um, because I think a lot of people for, uh, confuse forgiveness with uh, for when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean what they did was okay.
1: Yeah, forgiveness is always going to be for us, and whenever we're forgiving, we want to make sure that we are forgiving the person, right? Because they're human and they're imperfect. Mm-hmm. We can still be really angry and upset about the things that happen, but you know we allow ourselves to forgive that actual person
0: right and and when you forgive somebody else uh, genuinely it, it it releases you
1: yes. from the toxicity of yes. that yes it's really
0: when you for, when you forgive somebody it's really for your own well-being
1: yes yeah. so you, oh, you know the, you, you know you know, you know you know the you know the quote resentment is allowing somebody to live rent-free in your head
0: yes it was like or, or or um it's like drinking poison and and ha- expecting the other person to get sick
1: yeah. Look at us. We're a quote factory. <laughs> wow. Where can people find you on your socials, big boy? You can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter. i at MJ Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. And you could follow us both at Stage
0: 29 Podcasts. Uh, let us know what you're feeling, what you're thinking. We love hearing from you. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Oh, it's so much fun talking about mental health. I feel so much better. Kind of. Um, (laughs) We'll see you next week for more Hot Mess Fun. Download and subscribe.
1: Bye, guys. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.